I am absolutely stoked for you guys to be joining us here. What we're doing here is a, is a podcast called Shape the System, and it is really what we're trying to do is to, to meet people who we think are changing you know, one part of the world, a system and how it operates. And today we're joined by Trades for Good. I wanted to, if you guys could maybe introduce yourselves and then we'll talk a little bit about what Trades for Good does and sort of go from there. Sure. I'm uh, Tom Roberts. I am one third of Trades for Good, um, joining from New York or a couple of hours north of New York City. And uh, I'm Thurman Wise, uh, the second third of Trades for Good uh, and joining from Melbourne. Yeah, my name is uh, Martin Magnusson, and I'm joining from Stockholm, Sweden, and it's 6 a.m. in the morning in uh, cold Sweden right now at the moment. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, um, and tell, tell us a bit, like, tell, tell us about Trades for Good. Like, what, what, what is it that you guys are doing? And tell, tell us in the context of the system that, that, you tra- you know, that you're changing or, or trying to reimagine. Kind of coming from our name, it's uh, Trades for Good. The idea behind our brand or kind of our mission is to help people make small daily changes in their lives. It will hopefully have a greater impact on, you know, whether it be their community, their neighborhood, their state, their country, the world. And the first kind of system or the first space that we've identified that we would like to help shift a bit is kind of, I guess, hand soap, cleaning your hands, body care. It happens on a daily basis. So let's so let's unpack that a little bit. Um, like talk talk me through the context of how, how Trades for Good is doing this with this particular product. Yeah, well, I think um, you know we started with a hand soap, but actually, you know, in the context of systems, right? We we really we started with bathroom plastic, and we started with plastic. And I mean, we haven't really thought about this business in necessarily specifically in terms of systems before, but it's an interesting lens to look at it. And if you look at Look at it like that and think about the system that we're trying to break down. It's, I think, this convenience culture of plastic. And we've all got hooked on it, right? And something happened. You know, the, the world existed without plastic 100 years, and everything was mostly fine. Although, like, there's a lot of minutiae to this, and plastic has a lot of really positive purposes. But along the way, like, those positive impacts got kind of, like, diluted. So we got to the point where it became somehow it seemed like a better idea to take oil out of the ground, refine it, turn it into a, a indestructible material, mold it into a, uh, a small spoon so that you can stir your coffee and throw it one and then you throw that away, you know, and then it's been trucked there and then you stir your coffee and then you throw it away and then it gets trucked away and then dump somewhere. And somehow someone was like, well, that's easier than cleaning a spoon. Like that's the system that we created. And it's like, it's insane. And, you know, so I think this, the, this system is this like convenience culture of, of plastic. And we kind of cr- created a monster and got hooked on that convenience. And, you know, I think when we looked at it, and what, what's happened as a result is the rates of recycling for plastic are just really low and you talk about this in the product right there's in in the actual the, the hand soap there's a very specific number it's like 20 percent or something is that right yeah i mean within the u.s bathroom plastics have one of the lowest rates of recycling you know it's right 20 percent but um and that's like less than 20 percent of people who actually put it into the right 
recycling stream. But what happens to it after that? You know, you there's a whole bunch of other losses. And when you look at the the, the plastics as a whole in the U.S., it's less than five percent that are recycled. Like that, you know, that's another systems question where the whole system of plastic recycling, and certainly in the U.S. and you know in many other countries, is is pretty broken. Australia is probably pretty similar. I think. You know, Australia, probably much like US, have been exporting much of its plastic waste. But anyway, within the context of that, we got we got hooked on this convenience culture. And I think part of the the idea behind Trades for Good was to say, look, many people have been trying for years to, to break that system by kind of guilting people into making a lot more effort with their products. And I commend them for it. Uh, but it's just really difficult to, to, to break that drug of convenience. So that like taking your bottle and bringing it to the store and refilling it and then taking it home and putting it back in your bathroom. You know, those people that do it, I'm, I commend them. Keep doing it. Don't change. Don't buy our product. Keep refilling your bottles. That's awesome. But the reality is that most people don't want to do that or don't have the time to do it. And we wanted to create something that had just as much convenience as plastic without the without the negative side effect. And and is this this idea then of this trade for good is is perhaps about small behaviors that might change, but also you're you're taking this trade for good to say, maybe if we rethought the way um in this case a soap dispenser works, then we can make a, a design led kind of change. That means someone can get all the convenience that they would have today, but the as a result of choosing this version of a product versus the traditional version of a product, i.e. the one in plastic they're getting a, they're having a better outcome as a result of that and it's as much led by their desire to be part of a better way of doing things as well as your design thinking in a lot of respects to say if we rethought this and said instead of putting it in plastic we put it in aluminium or aluminum for our american listeners uh and you know that 68% of aluminium i think you were saying is recycled already so you know this is this is a much more positive step is that but that's basically how the product works right yeah, I would, see th- I would say there's three elements to it. I guess you have one element, which is from a product standpoint, you know, there's a trade for good there in proving yep. to companies and industries and categories that actually, you know, the default is plastic, but there's other solutions out there and it's worth doing. And then from sure. a con- like a customer standpoint, consumer, it's like, yeah, you can take a small step here and make a positive change. And that's a little, just one of many small changes you can make in your day-to-day life. And I think there's a third element here, which is around like the psychology of all of this, which is, you know, we didn't want to, we don't want to guilt anyone into anything. Uh, We want to use desire, you know, and that's where, you know, that's where Morton came in, who designed the label and the can and the package to make something that's just beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. You're not, it's not like, you know, I'm going to do the right thing and put this in my bathroom, but I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and you, like, it, like that actually leads me to a, a sort of follow-on question. You, you have, um, you know, there's obviously three of you guys um, here and on the call and trying to get a sense of you've obviously brought three of you together to solve the problems that you're encountering. And there's a problem of, like I'm guessing, a supply chain problem, but then how do you make a product that is a better product also desirable? And, and like, what's the third pillar here? Like tell me how the three of you have come together and what various aspects of the problems to be solved are being solved by each of you? I think that the great thing with this project is like bringing three friends uh, trying to make a change for uh, good. It's just like we have all different skill sets. I my my skill set is more maybe leaned towards like uh, design and 
sort of that aspect. So trying to to invent something that was already in the market, right. you have to just do right. a design shift sort of. It's like it's more or less like changing the mentality of things, which is really important. And uh, it's just easy. It looks easy, but it's a lot of like stuff that we had to do <laughs> just like the overcomfort, which is crazy. Yeah. Oh, design is never as easy. It's easy when it's done. It looks, easy, <laughs> it looks, it looks beautiful. That means yeah, so much to me. It's like people get it directly, but getting there was the problem. So, what was that major major challenge from a design perspective? The major design perspective, I I thought maybe was that we had uh, to create something that wasn't used before, and just getting simple cues and. I think the making it look good, like making the feel the soap vibe, have it in an aluminum can that is mostly right. used for beverage. Right. Now it, right. it feels like it's right here, but it feels like a hand soap. Do you understand? Right, right. So getting that. Yeah, one, yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, every time you want to change behavior and you put people in a different context, this is yeah. difficult, right? Um, so I think that's as a design led challenge is definitely a change. Um, I, I think too, like it's one of those funny things of, we wanted people to think of hand soap in a new way. Okay, so don't use plastic anymore. Use an aluminum can. And I think the perception of aluminum is sometimes a cheaper product. And so on top of trying to get people to swap out a normal behavior from plastic to aluminum, we're then also putting a very well-sourced premium product into a, a type of material that people usually assume is cheap. So then as a design space, Morton had to create something that was absolutely gorgeous because it had to elevate this material from being uh, just something around the house to this is actually a material that is very special and can play yeah. a very important role in helping kind of shift yeah. that waste. And so I think like in, from a design space, it was also tough for Morton to be able to take something that's considered so cheap and inexpensive and really make it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like there might be even a problem with the, our perception that aluminium is cheap and inexpensive. I mean, aluminium, to my understanding, is like from an energy perspective, is one of the most intensive materials to make or to get out of the ground and then turn into to aluminium or aluminium. Um, and so I think people's mismatch of understanding of this is a, an amazing product that can be used for a variety of things. I mean, I think in, in, in reading about the product, it was one of the only materials that you found that could actually mean that the things were sealed properly and weren't going to have problems with leakage and the like. So it's obviously an amazing product, yet people are approaching it with a, oh, this is cheap and disposable and throwaway. And so you're having to educate them almost on two levels in some respect. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a funny, that's a kind of the, the third challenge, I guess, with um, aluminium was, you know, you don't necessarily associate it with natural products. Product, right. right? And, you know, we've made a, a, a soap, which is, natural it's uh, almost entirely organic fragrance of the essential oils and you know normally you would expect that to be packaged in a you know a glass bottle or actually more, most commonly like a plastic bottle right but clear you can see the contents but actually from a usage standpoint like clear is a problem because you get ultraviolet light which breaks down natural products so your shelf life is shorter and then the second thing is like anything that isn't perfectly sealed, you have air inside it and that creates the need for artificial preservatives to, again, increase your shelf life. So what you've you got two options here. You either have a short shelf life, which isn't a good 
environmental solution, or you have to put in a lot of artificial preservatives. Unless you pack it in a uh, light-free and airtight environment, in which case you don't need artificial preservatives and you have a, have a long shelf life, which means you don't have product wastage. Um, so just changing gears a bit, how did we're, we're in three different parts of the world. Well, two of us are in one continent, so that's, that's nice. Um, how, how, did, how did you guys get here? Like how, is the three, how are the three of you working on this problem in the air, the, where you, like it doesn't even make sense. Like talk me through this. It doesn't make sense because we were, all <laughs> three of us uh, were working previously on a premium sort of local, uh, locally based uh, vodka company that I was handed to invent this product. And sort of Thurman, Tom came along and then Thurman came along and this was like, funded what like a massive corporation for so say and that's sort of how we met and then we changed it changed path from working in the spirits industry in uh, working into this sort of project that if that sums it up i'm assuming you're all in the same building when you started this now like for people who aren't watching (laughs) you're all in three different locations i presume you're working on this all remotely as well yeah or do you actually normally live in the same city but just happen to be in different places and then it it does it does create a challenge but actually it's it's kind of always been like that you know even when we were working together before not for ourselves but for another company well we were all in different places but there was also you know there's something to be said in a sense for like there was a certain chemistry between the three of us where even within the context right. of working in a big company, I think the three of us connected around, you know, there's a, there was a passion and an energy there that was like, and I think, you know, I think everyone's experienced this working in companies where you have a few colleagues that you work with through your life. You're like, sure. you know what, this is the person, you know, that I would like, I would really like to continue working with, or if I was going to do something, it's that guy. You know, I certainly felt like this with Morton and Thurman. That when we worked in the company, I was like, oh, these yeah. guys are rad. It would be really cool to do something with them. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's always the start of a good working relationship. Was, was there some kind of unifying belief that where you sort of went, hey, I think that too, you know, we all see this problem and we crack that over a beer at some point or whatever the other cliched places where people come up with these kind of ideas. Like how was it you sort of landed on? I mean, obviously there's a higher order need around trades for good, and I know that soap is only the first kind of thing that can can live inside that order. But you must have started by looking at a at a problem and going, "This is a problem. Let's start by solving this problem, but let's elevate that." How did you How did you get to that conversation? I think it's honestly it's been quite a journey. And originally, this project in a way started probably like maybe five or six years ago. Yeah, like so. More yeah, right. Tom and I like. We were all working for the same company and Morton and I were, we really wanted to do something outside of our normal job. And I mean, we came up with a cold brew company, a beer company. We, I mean, you name it, we came up with it over (laughs) three years. And then I think there was just a space where we wanted to do something different. We wanted to do something um, kind of, through happen chance, we kind of settled on soap. Right. And Morton and I were really, we were going back and forth for probably a year on soap. And there was, honestly, there was one piece of the formula that was missing. And it was really Tom. And I'll never right. forget, we were actually at a company Christmas party and they were celebrating the retirement of one of our colleagues. 
Right. And they were having, I kid you not, a fireworks display. Sure. And Morton and I and Morton and I were like, we need Tom to make this project happen. So we like gave them a nudge during the fireworks and we were like, hey, we're starting a hand soap <laughs> company. We want it to be environmentally conscious. We want to try to change the system. You want to help us out. And then we had like our first official meeting the next day at like some strange cafe. Post fireworks. Yeah, post fireworks. <laughs> yeah. Post fireworks. And, and I guess it, we started again, like it's been over three years. We start originally started with, we wanted to do it in a marbled plastic bottle, which right. conveyed the message that we're collecting plastic from the ocean and it's kind of the swirl together. And we were told that's impossible. You can't do it. Right. And we were like, okay. So then we were like, what's the next best thing we could do? And from there, that wasn't possible. And then I can't really remember how it came about, but we kind of landed on this idea of an aluminum can. And the sure. research that we did, we just found that this is a better way to do it. Um, I think Tom just called us up and he's like, damn guys, plastic, like it's not good enough. We need to just scrap that. And we were working on this recycled plastic idea for like one year. It was like two days before Christmas. Tom was like, we're scrapping the, the plastic because right. it's not good enough. It's like recycled plastic. It's, we're still putting plastic out there. And I was like, seriously, man, are we doing this right now? We just <laughs> like one and a half years. We're like, I just have to call the guy at the f- factory and we're making it like after Christmas. You know now it's not like, good enough. And I was like, I took two seconds and breathed that in. And I was like, cool. That was a lot of design work. I'm just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's change. Let's, we're doing Great. aluminum now. Let's do it. We're you know what? I think there's doing. a bit of theme here, though, that we have been using certain materials to do certain jobs for ages. And a lot of what you see in some of these like really interesting companies, and they're not all necessarily out purpose-driven, but they're rethinking a material and how that material might be used. And you know, materials development has opened up you know, a whole breed of science and chemistry that are letting you understand you can totally rethink this material and there's polymers and interesting stuff that are made of derivatives from plants rather than having to dig oil out to your top point earlier, Tom. So I think this idea of reimagining materials is, is definitely a theme. Just in terms of um, like you've uncovered in some respects this idea that aluminium or aluminium packaging can be used for things other than Coca-Cola. Like what else? What else are you thinking you might put in this? Maybe without giving the whole game away, but maybe give the whole game away. What what, what else would you put in? Well, I think kind of one of the funny things though about that, like what you were saying about different materials, is although you can use materials kind of cross category, the systems of actually filling those materials haven't caught up. So for example, like you could have two parallel routes, right? One is a soap filler who fills things in plastic and then you have people making aluminum cans, but those don't necessarily cross. So there are like these barriers sometimes to entry just because the people making the production or the manufacturing aren't able to use those materials. Um, So through this kind of system of us trying to like kind of putz our way through using aluminum, I think we have found there's several uses for it. Pretty much depending on the corrosivity of a product. Certain things can't go in cans if they're too corrosive, but everything from any kind of soap that you're using, body wash, lotion, um, those are all things that can be put into a can. And we've kind of designed a very special top to our soap 
which we're hoping to allow for more flexibility as we develop in the future. Other things. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing product. Just getting just sort of higher order as well. For you guys, like, you know, if you're in the, your corner of the world changing the system, you, you must sort of look out and think about other people who are doing other interesting or amazing things. Give me, give me some examples. What are the things that you guys love that you're seeing other people doing and, and why? You know, there's one like obvious example, and I see some parallels in thinking. It's a very unoriginal example, but uh, I, looked to, I looked to Tesla as an example of a company that same principles, you know, design principles of using desire rather than guilt, right? Like right. all solutions for electric vehicles up until that point had looked like some of the like nerdiest vehicles like right. it ever drive. You look like you're, sure. you're you're driving like a Lego car, right? And then along came Tesla, like, no, we're gonna make we're gonna make the sexiest car alive. It just happens to be electric. You know, well, the early ones were pretty nerdy, to be fair, but they did they certainly lifted their game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it was a different. It was a different philosophy, and and I thought that was really smart. And uh, like I I commend them, and I think their success has been been driven on the fact that they've they've led with desirability because at the end of the day i mean yeah we're all we're all humans and human i feel like the human human progress is driven by desire more than it's driven by guilt you know we're striving for something mm. uh, yeah absolutely. we're not we're not we're not fearful and running from something that's less effective than being like you know, a strong desire. And, you know, sadly, I think it's kind of what's created the mess we're in with the climate and the environment because it doesn't appeal to our sense of desire. You know, that's a sense of fear, which is a less effective motivator than desire. Like, well, you know, climate's a bummer and it's annoying that we're going to destroy the planet, but a super yacht looks real nice. I kind of want that. <laughs> that's, that's reality. Just pass me that plastic spoon you were talking about earlier. That, yeah. That's... That's right, and so, so I think uh, yeah. I, I have a great admiration for companies that are are managing to steer in a more sustainable way using desire as a tool to do it. Beautiful. There's this really amazing company out of Melbourne called Fluff. Fluff. Yeah, and um, it's basically a makeup brand targeted at young girls from the ages of 15 to 18, with the whole idea that changing the perception of beauty and the the idea that less makeup is more, and really trying to create a community within a space where so much of the world is saying something so different. And it's really pushing consumerism and pushing waste. And you need to have a hundred different this and a hundred different that. Right. And with that comes a ton of different you know, waste. And what they're just trying to say is keep it simple, use good products, and kind of in a way, everyone has their own beauty. Right. I just think it's one of those things where Within that industry of cosmetics, so much is saying one thing, and here's a small company that's deciding to say something completely different. Right. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And, I mean, to your point about the mix of skills as well, you've got to design something desirable. You've got to message it and package it in a certain way so people actually can access it and obviously, you know, it uh, resonates with them. Then you've actually got to work out how to solve the, the fundamental problem of why that thing's different underneath. Just sort of... One sort of one kind of closing question, and don't mind who takes it. Um, so many people, and you guys are a great example of this, all working in a vodka company. I think I got that right, vodka company. Are typically on the fence, looking out, thinking, you know, I, there's a there's got to be a better way, but b what role am I playing? 
what do you like? What do you, what's your advice? Like most people aren't out on the outside yet and are, are in a place where they're thinking maybe I could be doing something differently and maybe being part of something or you know actually going and starting something, whatever that is. Love to hear your thoughts on on how someone goes about that or or you know where your heads were at when you made that decision yourselves. I think you really have to have the mindset for it. I, it doesn't matter. It's like I think everyone should go out and try to do it. Maybe not everyone is suited for it or is going to have the drive or the energy. But if you feel like you have the drive, the energy, and this, the the opportunity to create and do something and make a change for good, if that is joining a demonstration for the climate change or anything for that, just like minor things, I think it's super important doing like, that sort of climate change uh, process. And going back to like the drive, I think it is it is either within you or not within you. And it's like, whatever you do, it's like, if people look at us and say like, that's a great idea, I can do something like that. And like envision doing something else that is good for the nature. That's perfect right. for us because that's a win-win. So that is super. But how you come about it, I think it is within yourself. If you feel you have something that is super good, I think just like, just go for it. What's what's the worst that can happen? I think one of the most important elements is, uh, you know, having, I think you got to have a passion for something, right? And a passion for an idea and a concept, right? And I think, you know, we were we were kicking around ideas for a long time before we landed on this kind of this bigger idea around tackling this this issue of plastic waste and then we kind of zeroed in on that it's something i think we all felt a lot of passion for and this idea of you know making a series of changes for good and what that brand could symbolize and all that stuff and i think you know i see some people who like work in a company and they're like you know what they're like, oh, I uh, want to be in control of my own time. I want to do this and this and this. And you think about a lifestyle they want to lead rather than a problem they want to solve. And uh, I think that, you know, solving a problem can lead to a lifestyle you want to lead. But looking for a lifestyle and then searching around for some kind of business, build your own business, that you've got to be really passionate about the problem you're solving because right. otherwise it'll be, it'll be pretty short-sighted. So that's, that's one yeah, piece yeah. of it. And then the other piece of it, I would say, and, and I don't think a lot of people talk yeah. about this enough, is, you know, it's really, um, it's glamorized this idea of like, leave your company, start something on your own, be your own boss, all this stuff. But I, I mean, actually, I, I would say, don't underestimate the power that you have as an insider within an organization, be it a large or small organization. And, you know, a big organization even if your influence as as an employee as a stakeholder in that business if you can take that giant tanker of an organization and move it by two degrees a huge difference your business that you start like would have to become a pretty huge business to have just as big of impact as a two degree course change that you can make that you're in so i would also say to people like don't underestimate like before you jump ship maybe have a word with and see if they can. <laughs> the power of saying. I love it. Yeah. Devin, do you want to add to that, mate? Yeah, I was, you know, kind of building off what Morton Thomas said. I think the biggest thing is you just have you just have to start it. You just have to one day say, yes, I'm going to do this. And I think even for us in this process, like I was saying, like we've been working on this for three years and there got to a point where we just kept pushing it back. We're like, ah, the design isn't just right. The fragrance isn't just right. 
And we just kept kind of delaying us to get this started. And at a certain point, we just had to say, screw it. We'll make changes as we develop, but you just have to do it. And whether that be starting your own company or whether that be, you know, going to the office manager and saying, hey, I want to start a recycling program. But I think that it's, it's something truly big because, you know, it's the hardest part of starting. Yeah. And once you start, you start to notice so many different things that you can shift and change and make greater impact. But it's just, you know, I think as humans, it's sometimes, yeah, it's just so hard to change your behavior and you just have to do it. Love it. All right, guys, that's amazing. Um, I think we'll wrap for there for today, if that's all right. Can I go back on one point quickly? Because I think we skipped over this maybe quicker than we should. And that was that, that was that like transition when we went from this right. like plastics bottle, like recycled plastic solution to aluminum cans. And I think it was just such an important shift in our business. And it came about, and, it, and I just think about it now in this, this context of systems. And essentially, when we looked at it, we had a recycled bottle and we started looking into how do you take that recycled plastic bottle and avoid that thing going back to landfill, right? And then when we started looking at all of these refill solutions and pouches, and then it's like, okay, well, couldn't find a pouch that was, that you could recycle. You know, we couldn't find a pouch made from the right materials and we couldn't find it in our heads to be like, well, how are we going to convince people to like open up this little thing and have this pouch and then refill that? And then maybe it's not recyclable, but if they send it to this place, then they can turn it into something else and just feel inconvenient. And I think that's when we started to feel like, hey, this system doesn't work. Something wrong here. And so we basically came to aluminum, not from a point of view of, we didn't start by being, hey, wouldn't it be rad to put soap in an aluminum can? We started from a point of view of, plastic's not working. What's a better solution here? And then what's a material that's better fit for the purpose of delivering soap? That's how we found it. You know, I just think when you look at the product, it seems like a, you know, in some ways it seems like a simple solution, but it took a lot of thinking to get there. And the thinking was came from a place of, purpose for the products, not like, hey, this this would be kind of a, a cool idea, you know?